All right, guys, welcome back to the study of Exodus. Hard to believe. Here we are, Exodus 16, 17, and 18, Lesson 36. And we are starting a whole new week. We, we finally changed our clothes. Beard's still growing. Rich is back. It's going to be a good week. Rich, I got to ask you a question. The word Exodus, what are these people exiting from? The Israelites are leaving Egypt after being enslaved for 400 years. Yeah. Here's the backdrop. This is what we're seeing. We've seen the Red Sea miracle. We've seen them singing about God's miracle. We've seen the manna and the quail falling down. And and God's going to do this for 40 years. Now, in verse 1 of Exodus 17, this is what we're going to get into today. Scripture says this, the entire Israelite community. Now, they even say maybe up to 2 million people left. I'm going to go over our map here. All right, so he, they left the wilderness of sin, <laughs> and they're moving, so they're just, they're rotating. They're moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. It says, then they camped right here at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now, before we even go, you can almost guarantee what the Israelites are going to do. There's no water for the people to drink, and it says they ended up at the camp of Rephidim where there was no water. So in verse 2, yep, you have it. It says the people complained to Moses. Rich, can you give me a New York, give me a New York complaining. Can you, it says, give us water to drink. Give us a little how that sounds like in New York. Hey Moses, we got no water to drink. They're killing me here. (laughs) That was good. That was good. I like that. So Moses, I love this. He says, why are you complaining to me? I'm back in Exodus 17 verse two. Why are you complaining to me? In other words, he's saying, why do you have such a lack of faith? Dr. Tom Constable, I used to be a professor at Dallas Seminary, he says, they wanted, this is what I love about this, they wanted God to act as they dictated, rather than waiting for him to provide as he promised. It was kind of like this, oh God, when I want it, you got to do it. Instead of just waiting to, to walk into the promise, and how many times have we seen the promise? Remember, the seed that has started in Genesis is now, ready for this, it's being delivered through the book of Exodus. And people just get impatient. They don't want to wait on what God can do. And in fact, I just want to say, do you not remember where you've come from, the Red Sea? Isn't that us sometimes? We complain and we just forgot what he did yesterday. And so in verse 3, it says, But the people, they thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And all of a sudden now Moses is the murderer again. Why would you bring us out here, Moses? I'm tired of this. Their heart, you guys, was still in Egypt. In verse 4 of Exodus 17, it says, Then Moses, he cried out to the Lord. You know, I'm just going to tell you, this is a normal pattern of Moses. People complain, tough situations, and then he cries out to the Lord. Praise the Lord, he at least cries out to the Lord. He says, what should I do with these people? I wonder if he had people, like, faces in mind. Oh, that family that's always da-da-da. You know, like, this little guy over here is always, you get my point. What do I do with these people? In a little while... (laughs) They're going to stone me. Now, now it's becoming real. So he takes his difficulties to the Lord. Can I just tell you, if you are complaining or, or even like, I can't read anymore. <laughs> just take it to the Lord. Don't complain about our schedule for reading. Don't complain about the reading guides. I don't even know if you are. Don't complain about like certain things on the website. I'm totally making this scenario up. My point is, is just take your concerns to the Lord. And I love this, Psalm 46.1, it's not the mentality of Moses, but this should be the mentality of all of us, even when things get hard, even when we're wandering around Rephidim saying, where's the water, God? You have to understand that Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times 
of trouble. You know what that means? God will never leave you stranded. God will never leave you out to, out to the back door and say, I'm never going to let you in. God is always saying, come on, I got the water for you. Come on, I got the food for you. Come on, I will be your refuge. Moses has this understanding. And the minute that he doesn't, he goes into his flesh. And I'm just, I'm saying, you guys, what I love is that God will respond to our cries. In Exodus 17, verse 5, the Lord answered Moses. And go on ahead, he says, of the people and take some of the elders with you. Take that staff that you struck the Nile with in your hand and I want, I want you to go. Now, remember, it says go on ahead of the people, but bring some elders with you. So he's not going by himself. And then in verse 6 of Exodus 17, he says, I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. So what does that say? God is going with Moses. He's not alone. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb, Mount Sinai. When you hit the rock with the phone, <laughs> with the staff, water will come out of it and people will drink. Now, I'm not some scientist, I'm not some archaeologist, but I'm pretty sure if you hit a rock, I've never seen water come out of a rock. I don't know. Jeff? I have never seen that. Rich, have you ever tried it? No, never. Uh, I love this. Anyway, Moses did this in the sight of the elders. And if you would go to verse 7, he named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Massa, okay, it means testing or proof. Meribah, I love this one, means murmuring, dissatisfaction or contention. Murmuring, so you have the whole, like, he's going to name it testing and murmuring. Yeah, this is where you guys totally screwed up. (laughs) This is where you're whining because, oh yeah, you forgot about the the Red Sea. You forgot about all the plagues. You forgot about all that God has done. And I'm going to name it just so you remember this. And they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Kevin, can you go to Psalm 78, verse 15 and 16? Psalm 78, verse 15 and 16. It just, it talks about how God will always meet our needs. Look at this. He splits the rock in the wilderness. He gave them drink as abundant as the depths. In verse 16, he brought streams out of the stone and made water flow down like rivers. Don't you love that one? Streams out of the stone. God, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this situation. All I see is this dumb rock right here. Oh, I'll bring a stream, multiple streams from that for you. There's a great quote. We're going to talk about it all week long. There's a great quote that somebody once said that, you know, it took one night for Israel to get out of Egypt but it takes 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And, you know, this mentality of this is how we used to be, but God has a whole different plan, a different purpose, and and how he's going to move us forward. And so it's almost like you got to continue to surrender every day who you are to him, even when it looks really hard. And so it says in verse 8 of Exodus 17, at Rephidim, Amalek, Amalek came and fought against Israel. Does anybody find this weird? Like, where'd this come from? Right? Came out of nowhere. They're in the wilderness. It came out of nowhere. But remember, you guys, we talked about this. The promise, God's going to give them the land, right? But he didn't say, I'm just going to hand it over to you. They're going to have to go through some battles. They're going to have to go through some fighting to get this land that God's giving them. And so as the Amalekites came to fight, and the Amalekites, they're, they're like pirates. That's how they're described. They're pirate-like people. All right, let's get them Israelites. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen that picture of me when I was a kid? I dressed like a pirate. Do you remember that, Rich? Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, it is pretty funny. It's my inner pirate inside of me. 
Moses said to Joshua, select some men. This is the first time, just so you guys know that we're, we're hearing a reference now uh, into Joshua. Select some men uh, for us. So Moses, the leader, says to Joshua, I want you to round up some guys. I want you to go fight against the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Now, if I'm Joshua, oh, great idea, Moses. Great, great. I'll go fight and you stand on top of the hilltop with your staff. You know what, guys? This is for you guys. Okay. Mm, look at those arms. Mm. Wow. It's got a hook. It's a monkey. You no, guys, that's the staff. Oh. It's very powerful. Doesn't the staff mean a hook? Don't worry. Their arms will get longer in the story, okay? Just so you know, okay? I'm just going to tell you. I don't want to blow the story by drawing it right now. If you're not watching the video, I'm just drawing uh, some fun pictures. They're actually incredible pictures. <laughs> All right, verse 10. Let's keep going. Uh, Joshua, he did as Moses told him. He didn't complain. That's what I love about this. He didn't complain. He wasn't one of the guys that complained. He did what he told him, and he fought against the Amalekites. He fought against Amalek. While Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So now all of a sudden you have Moses at the top of the hill. This is pretty cool. You have Aaron, his brother. And now, Rich, you missed this last week, but do you remember who's older, Aaron or Moses? Um, I don't remember. Ah, just like the other guy. Aaron's older. Kevin, by how much older? Three years. Three years, okay. Then all of a sudden you got her. Who? Where did he come from? Her just all of a sudden shows up. Yeah, I got your back, Moses. Like, that's so funny to me. Her all of a sudden is playing a major part. A couple different thoughts. He is, we know, the son of Caleb. He could be the grandfather of, I always say this name wrong. Rich, you like this guy a lot. Biziel? Bizelli? He's the architect of the tabernacle. Go to Exodus 31, verse 2. BZL. He's a guy, B-Z-L-E-L, oh man. He's a guy who ended up actually building, he helped build the architect. Uh, he was the architect of the tabernacle. So he plays a major part. Look, I've appointed by name Bizel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Okay, do you guys remember which lineage? I'm just going to test you from the tribes. Aaron and Moses are with who? Levi. They're Levites, right? Where's Hur from? Judah. I, I just... I love this picture every time that all of a sudden you see, you see the Levites in this case, and then you see Judah working together. Long, long time ago, here's the historian Josephus. Uh, one of my favorite go-to guys when I was at Dallas Seminary, uh, incredible source. Rich, just describe Josephus for us, will you? Josephus is just an ancient uh, historian. That's all he is. Some guy who had a lot of knowledge and decided to write it down so that we could have it as uh, just something to fact check what's in the Bible. Sometimes it supports it. Most of the time it does. Sometimes it could just be totally conjectured. So one of the thoughts that Josephus had was that her, okay, now this is where it makes sense, could be, again, you don't need to email me about this. You don't even need to text me about this. None of this stuff, right? Okay, so I don't know the answer to this, okay? But Josephus does think, okay, that her is the husband of Miriam. That would make sense. I can't prove it dogmatically, just so you know. I can't prove it, but I, I like that. That would kind of fit to the guys hanging out and working together. In some weird way, uh, don't take this as the Moses, Aaron, and her example, but it's like me and Shannon and then Janae's husband, Garth, 
like we're close. The three of us are very close. So naturally, people might think that he is family. He is family. He is family. <laughs> but like a brother is what I mean. He's like a brother. So you have those three. So you get the point. And one of the beautiful parts about this school is that as we continue to flesh this out, uh, we're not always, I'm just going to, I need to say this. We're not always going to be right. That's my goal. And as a teacher, you want to be held accountable to the highest standard. Scripture says we need to be. But if you do catch something, go ahead and let Tom know. That's fine. <laughs> right? Uh, no, but I'm serious. I, I appreciate your patience. Here we are on, on day 36. And we've said some things maybe that are like, hey, you took a left turn. Or, hey, fix this on the right. I, I know that. So thanks for your patience. But when we propose these kind of things, I'm not saying it's 100%. But I do love the theory that her could be married to Miriam. All right, so here's the deal. They go up to the top of the hill. They're there, right? And it says in verse 11, when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he, he pulled his hand down, the Amalekite prevailed. So the Amalekites, so you have the fighting down with Joshua. Joshua's fighting. And then every time Moses is up here, they're like, yeah, we're winning. Every time Moses is down here, they're losing. I would be like, dude, we got to fix this system here. <laughs> And so what's really fun is, and this happens, is, is that in verse 12, when Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. How's that, how's that help? Anybody know? Logically, Jeff, how, how does that help? I would assume because then when the... When Aaron and Hur came along, they didn't have to hold their arms all the way up. They just had to. So he all of a sudden is sitting down, yeah. right? It looks like he's hula hooping. He's hula hooping. <laughs> <laughs> Mark it, Rich. Right? Is that, is that right, Rich? Yeah, that's, that's what it looks like to that me. That was Moses right Move there. Over so he sits down, and then on one side of the other, then their hands, I told you their hands are going to get longer. What's it? I mean, I, I was going to start singing, we are the children. <laughs> we are the world. Yeah, we are the world. Yeah, see? Yeah. Then, all right, so Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. It's a pretty cool picture, right? You know what I'm going to draw. So, so here you have these guys, the family. We're one family, and as they are doing this together, as they're unified the victory is theirs. It, it's a cool picture. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, the Amalekites, just want to talk a little bit more about them. Uh, Israel was a threat to their security. They came over to the land, and all of a sudden they're like, hey, who are you guys? What are you doing here? This, this is our place. In fact, Josephus called this group the most warlike of any nations. So, like, if you had to pick a first fight, I probably wouldn't pick the toughest guys. They'd be like, hey, let's go, ISIS, bring it. You know, like that's the mentality of what is taking place. But as long as Moses was here with Aaron and her, God, God was victorious. I don't know, John 15, 5, I just want to emphasize, Kevin, if you can go there. I mean, really, we can do nothing apart from him. The victory is not dependent on how good we're fighting. It's all in the Lord's hands. And he says, I am in the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me, without the Lord, Victory is not going to happen. And I love this image because to me, I can't prove this, but I sure love the image that Moses is praying. I love this image of the power of prayer. And as one guy says, you know, intercession is essential. We need to be interceding for the Lord to be victorious. 
Crazy enough, though, even though it looks like he's tired, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians. Um, okay, I'm going to go to Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. Even in his older age, though, you guys, even in his older age, Scripture says it doesn't mean that uh, he was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. So that says to me, if his strength hadn't left him in this process, like that's how much of a fight it was. Does that make sense? I don't know. You want to clean that up, Rich? What does that mean? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like when I, when I say his, he, it says his strength hasn't left him, but yet he was tired. How, how can that counter? How can that balance each other out? Well, I think it just talks about Moses, his, his, his inner strength, his desire, his passion for the Lord was still there. But physically, his, his outer, as Paul would talk about, his outer tent, his body was wearing it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And when I think of intercessors, you guys, I think of people that are like pressing in. And it is, I, I don't know, if you guys have ever had a, a time of prayer with the Lord, when you leave, you're actually exhausted. Like when you leave your closet, when you leave your room, you are just like spent. Like, the, how do you know? Well, check out your knees, first of all. <laughs> one const- uh, one uh, Dr. Tom Constable, he says, you know, intercession is the gymnasium to the soul. I love that language. You think about that. Gym- intercession is the gymnasium to your soul. It's how you get a workout. And Moses is working out on behalf of his, his people. We got to be lifting our hands in prayer, you guys, over and over in Scripture. Psalm 28, verse 2. Psalm 28, verse 2 talks about in prayer, we can lift up our hands to the Lord. Listen to the sound of my pleading. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Psalm 44, verse 20. Psalm 44, verse 20. (laughs) I said, Tom Constable, you know, as a professor, and it. I thought I, I almost said constipated. Good thing you didn't. I'm glad thing I didn't now. So Psalm 44, verse 20. Those are the things my wife's like, please don't say those things out loud. But you know, I am who I am. Psalm 44, 20. If we had forgotten the name of our God and spread out our hands to a foreign God, it's talking about constant lifting up. Psalm 63, verse 4. Kevin, if you would go there. Psalm 63, verse 4. We're just going to keep it real. Psalm 63, verse 4. So I will praise you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. Okay, let's do an an integrity time. Gentlemen, in your prayer life, do you lift up your hands? Like, do you think about that? Not very often. On a rare occasion. On a rare occasion. I can see Jeff doing it like when you're leading worship. You know, like, but I... I don't necessarily in my home, well, sometimes I do. The car's the worst. <laughs> when I knee drive, do you guys ever knee drive? Uh. You remember, do you guys remember, man, we're totally going to rabbit trail, but this is okay. Do you remember when the, the Egyptians, their wheels fell off? And I, and I said their wheels are off, and I was like, Jesus, Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. Yeah. You're like, if you're still with me right now, praise the Lord, okay? All right, let's go. Let's keep going. Exodus 17, we're almost done. Praise the Lord. All right, verse 13. So Joshua, because the hands were up, because of the intercession, because of Aaron and Hur, uh, the brothers, maybe brother-in-law, because these guys are in it together, Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. And this is cool. Rich's buddy back there, Josephus. I have Warren Wearsby. Rich has Josephus. Josephus wrote that no Hebrews died. But an innumerable Amalekites perished. 
that cool? You know, we think about the Red Sea moments, but what about the Amalekite battle? God just cleaned house. And I wouldn't say that they're seasoned fighters. They've been making bricks and mortar. They've been slaves. They just crossed the Red Sea and all of a sudden they have to fight? (laughs) Can you imagine our Time Revive team? 150 of us going into a different country and all of a sudden we're like, guys, we got to go fighting. We'd be like, oh dear Lord. You get my point. I think we'd kind of be like them, right? I'd get behind Tom. I'd get (laughs) behind (laughs) Tom. That's where my brother-in-law comes into the play, right? And I want to just tell you, though, I, I believe that this intercession is essential. I believe, no, again, I, don't, I can't prove it, but it, based on Moses' track record of crying out to the Lord, I sure as heck believe he cried out to the Lord. That's what Jesus does for us. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, a, a, a picture of how Moses is a, a type of, of, of Christ in, in the Old Testament Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus intercedes for us. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's talking to the Father on behalf of us, just like Moses did for his people. I believe Jesus wants us to win. It's an awesome picture, but just in case you're not comfortable with just Jesus interceding, don't worry, we got another one. It's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, verse 26, He's interceding on our behalf. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness. When we're getting tired, our arms are tired because we do not want to pray for us as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Go to verse 27, please. And he who searches his heart knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of of God. Isn't that an awesome picture? Moses the deliverer has got his staff. Jesus is sitting at the right hand. He's interceding. The Holy Spirit, wherever we go, he's interceding for us. The victory has already been won. Verse 14, to wrap all of this up, then the Lord said to Moses, I want you to write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. So he says, I want you to write it down five times, at least five times, in, in two times in Exodus, uh, three times in Exodus, and two times in Numbers, multiple times, five times. Uh, Moses is instructed to write something down. I want you to remember this. If you haven't figured out, you guys, as we go through the wilderness, it seems like the more they're around sand, the more that they forget everything. <laughs> it's like they're in front of a rock. Oh, no, God can't turn that into water. I want you to remember. I want you to make sure that Joshua remembers what's going to happen. Not only what happened today, but I'm going to completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. In other words, it hasn't fully come to fruition yet. So it's a prophecy. I want you to write down a prophecy because eventually this memory of them, gone. They're done. It's a pretty cool picture. And so then as a result of this, Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is My Banner. Something that I've totally missed all my life until I started studying this is, for some reason, I thought that was the name of God, The Lord is My Banner. He names the altar, the Lord is my banner. Sounds simple. Sounds kind of like, well, what's the big deal? It's just simple. He built an altar and he said, above the altar, the Lord is my banner. Why would he say that? Why, why would he say that, you guys? What do you think? What just took place? Victory in a, in a battle. Yeah. So I, I kind of have this picture of as Moses has his hands up even. I feel like, you know, building an altar, like, a, yeah, I feel like there's this banner. Like the Lord, the Lord is one. This is the Lord's doing. This would be like the modern day version of the airplane with a sign behind it. 
<laughs> the Lord is my banner. What did it say? Or in the New York accent, what would they say? The Lord, nah, never. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little Boston. And he said, indeed, my hand is lifted up towards the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. Okay, what? So we're going to blot out the memory, but yet we're going to be at war from generation. So eventually, something's going to happen. I want to give you a couple scenarios here. Okay, this is, this is, this is really cool. Uh, I'm going to give you five different scenarios, six different scenarios, okay, of the Amalekites fighting from generation to generation. You don't have to go there anywhere, Kevin, you're good. So Israel fought them at Kadesh Barnea, but was defeated in Numbers 14. Gideon conquered them along with the Midianites in Judges 6. King Saul, uh, he ended up fighting uh, to exterminate the Amalekites. He failed to exterminate. You guys remember that's the Amalekites? You remember he was supposed to kill everybody, but he didn't? Uh, David defeated the Amalekites uh, when they came to his camp, uh, when they raided his camp in 1 Samuel. David became king and then he subdued them. But it wasn't until 1 Chronicles 4, verse 42 and 43, Kevin, if you'll go there, that I believe possibly this was the prophecy coming to fruition. 1 Chronicles 4, verse 42. Okay, remember, eventually they're going to be wiped out, right? That's what he says. In 1 Chronicles 4, verse 42, Now 500 men from these sons of Simeon went from Pelatia, Neria, Riphia, and Uziel, the sons of Ishi. <laughs> I feel like I'm reading a children's book. As their leaders to Mount Seir. Verse 43, here it is. They struck down the remnant. Now when we say remnant, that means the small little group left. They struck down the remnant of the Amalekites who had escaped and they still live there today. Isn't that cool? Possibly this was um, some of that prophecy being fulfilled or, or all of it. Can't say 100%. I'm sure if you do more in depth, it's probably there. But here you have a story of Moses being the deliverer in Exodus 17. Isn't this cool? I love this story. I love that he has friends. I love that he has family behind this. I love that Joshua steps up and we have a new leader entering the picture. And then in verse eight, uh, Exodus 18, uh, just as a massive overview, all of a sudden Moses' father-in-law along with his wife and sons, they come to Moses and they arrive at the mountain of God. So the whole family is having a miniature reunion at Mount Sinai. And in verse eight, it just says they get caught up on all that God has done and how, how he's delivered them. And wouldn't that be a fun way to tell your father-in-law, hey, by the way, we, we kicked some rear. Yeah, we, we got delivered. And you just go through this whole story. And then in verse 12, uh, Aaron and elders, they eat a meal with Moses' family. So everybody's coming together. And then in verse 17, Jeshua says, you know, Moses, what I'm seeing, I'm seeing you're going to get tired. See, you're going to wear out. You, you can't carry all two million people on your back. You can't handle all of these situations. And so in verse 21, I, I think you need to select some men and, that can give you counsel and help judge everybody. I, I need you to get a, a, a team. Time revived language, we call it a leadership team. I need you to surround yourself with wise counsel that can help you. And then Moses in verse 24, as a humble man should, he actually did everything that he was told. Here you have the man who brought delivery from people from, uh, from uh, Egypt, he's listening to his father-in-law. I said, yeah, I, I can't do it by myself. So it's a good sign of a leader, you guys. A good sign of a leader will always be open to help. Be careful of those that aren't. I'm telling you, in America, we're setting ourselves up for failure in churches across the board because we have leadership that isolates themselves from other people. 
Be careful. Moses gives us a great example. He humbles himself and he's around the people. Jesus, he's around the other people. The minute that you think that you're more than somebody else, I'd say your downfall has already started to happen. Moses says, I agree. I need your help. And as that, verse 27, he says goodbye to his father-in-law and he journeyed to his own land. It's a cool story. Family getting involved, friends getting involved, and the Israelites are being delivered. There you have it, Exodus 16, 17, and 18. We've had some random bloopers. We've had some things we probably shouldn't have said. But Lord willing, you still get that God is in the business of setting people free, and he loves to use you and me. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. 